UTS and I have been hanging around UTS ever since, hopefully not as a bad smell. Um, just helping with Credo and teaching the Bible. There was no stereotypes at all in those logos, were there? Just none. Just, I didn't see any stereotypes at all. Uh, is, that, is that part of a design? They shouldn't have, logos shouldn't have stereotypes, should they? No. All right, as Cooper said, we've been doing this uh, series, Blair or Beautiful, on the Bible, and uh, we're using the Bible to talk about the Bible. And here's the passage for today. It's not John 7. It's actually 1 Peter. It's on your handouts. It's also on the screen. And um, let's start with reading that. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Now, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, Love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, Rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I'll stop there and we'll pick up uh, from verse 4 next time. One of the most common complaints uh, I hear made about Christians is their lack of love. Uh, especially when people feel judged or condemned or excluded or patronised or, or whatever. This, this comes up, doesn't it? On the other hand, one of the most common confessions I hear from Christians is regret for their lovelessness. Uh, whether it's remorse about their lack of others in a particular situation or just weariness in seekingness to grow in depth of loving better. Maybe asking for prayer in wisdom and how to love when it just doesn't seem clear or when they've made mistakes. Perhaps much of this on both sides, the, the complaints against <laughs> and the admissions from are justified because everyone, it seems, both Christian and not, knows the gold standard. And the gold standard, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. See, when you know what that gold standard is, then complaint against and confession from about not measuring up to that, well, from one perspective, that's just right, isn't it? It makes sense. Who can attain it? Well, as I alluded, we're dipping into successive parts of 1 Peter across the semester. And in large part, that section, that little section that we read uh, just then, is about love. Did you notice that? It starts out uh, talking about being purified. Purified um, and so committing to love. Fervent, enduring love, deep love. It goes on, Uh, a a classic biblical perspective comes out here too, in that love, Christian love, uh, is from the heart. It needs to be from the heart. It's not just about helpful conduct, 
or um, you know, good behaviour, or um, being civil. No, no. There needs to be this kind of external should be mirrored from the internal of good intentions, genuine affections. Love needs to be motivated from a deep, sustaining source. Love is very different than being nice. And then uh, in those first few verses from chapter 2, there's just the reality of the Bible too when it comes to the enormous difficulty we face in loving uh, because of our our vices that destroy relationships and trust and community and people's reputation. Uh, Notice how verse 1 is worded. It's, It's not a warning to beware of the possibility of malice and gossip and envy and hypocrisy and slander and those kind of things. No, no, no. It's, it's much blunter than that, isn't it? It's much more real. It's, it's an, not an alert to danger, but a diagnosis. It assumes that we do have these vices in various measures and need to be active in fighting them. And so part of the journey in love will, of necessity, be to stop comparing ourselves favourably with others and just actually start confronting the vices that do infect us. But, as much as the theme of love is in this passage, there is this twin theme intertwined alongside it, and that is the theme of the Bible. Did you notice that as well? Look again with me, back to verse 22. It is by obedience to the truth, it says, the truth of the Bible, that you can be purified from self-centred living to be others-oriented and begin to live in sincere love, brotherly love, affection, that kind of thing. Going on, it's, it's by the powerful seed of the Word of God, the Bible, verse 23, that new births. You see fresh hearts, renewed interiors that can be sustained and motivated. Only a word from God can reach into our hearts with such power. And then, again, in that third paragraph, it is by drinking in the spiritual milk of the Bible, verse 2, that that we can nourish ourselves on God and fight our own vices that destroy and diminish love. So love and the Bible, they're intertwined. Now, I've taken a bit of a shortcut haven't I, in equating the Word of God phrase from this passage with the whole Bible. So an explanation for the more detailed oriented amongst us. I think as you read this section from 1 Peter, the Word of God phrase here likely means the the gospel message, the good news announcement about Jesus. See that in verse 25? This was the word that was preached to you. The word of God that the original recipients of 1 Peter got was a verbal message. It wasn't like the Gideons handing out little you know, Bibles at the start of uni. There was no printing press then. There was no mass distribution of Bibles. And yet, and yet, that verbal message of Christ is a summary of the source. 
So notice again in verse 25 how Peter has just quoted from Isaiah 40. It's in the Old Testament part of the Bible. All people are like grass. All their glory is like the flowers of the field, the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And then he says, what does he say? This word, the one that I've just quoted, was the word that was preached to you. Now, he doesn't mean that the Christian preachers went around quoting large sections of the Old Testament or of the Bible to people word for word, or even that this particular section, Isaiah 40, was the one that they, you know, was part of the, the message preached to the people of 1 Peter's writing to. No, no, what he's saying is the gospel message, the preaching about the kingdom of God coming in Jesus Christ, that salvation for people is found in his life, death and resurrection on our behalf when we repent and believe or obey that truth, that proclamation of Jesus is, is the fulfilment of the Bible. Because the whole Bible, all, you know, 1,200 pages of it, is one long account of God working from the beginning through time to redeem his rebellious loveless, hating world. And it culminates in loving the world supremely by sending his own son into it to bear all the penalty and the just requirements of our apathy towards God and our apathy towards others by our self-obsession. So, it's not that the gold standard of love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind and soul and strength and love others as yourself was kind of changed or muted or sort of reduced when Jesus came so that, you know, people could suddenly qualify in their half-baked attempts. No, no, it was rather that the gold standard was met, actually. It was fulfilled for us by Jesus when he came. The one, the only one who achieved it. And he did it for us as our representative. He was kind of like our team captain for humanity. Okay, so yes, it is the truth of the gospel that purifies people. We've heard Savannah's story. It is obedience to the message of that gospel. But the gospel is the fulfillment of the Bible. So the Bible helps you acknowledge your self-obsession. That makes the gold standard of love impossible for you. I'm just going to keep using those two things. It's the word of God that is proclaimed as Jesus is preached that softens our hearts as we receive his grace and forgiveness and mercy, which then motivates our hearts to love others sincerely. Just as we've been loved, we get to kind of overflow in love to others. But if you hear that message preached, that's just as it is, is in the Bible, where we meet that Jesus who gives us new birth. It's the spiritual milk of God's message heard and discussed and received and talked about in your small groups and all those kind of things, just as it is the spiritual milk of the scriptures read and meditated upon that gives us the power to face the reality of our vices head on. And who doesn't need power to face your own vices 
which just came to seek tripping us up. But you see, in here, we taste how good God himself is. We meet him here. So instead of seeing our vices, we see him. Is the Bible really that powerful? Is it, is it actually the place to kind of meet God, the, the method to kind of face down your vices that destroy love and, and continue to plague us? Is this the source of heart renewal and motivation for sincere, purified love? Well, it's obviously not the kind of the material product of the Bible, is it? It's not sort of some magic token or spell by holding it or possessing it or having it on, a, on your shelf or anything like that. No, no it's, it's the message, isn't it? It's the contents. And of course, where they're from, they're from God. But even with that clarification, it's, it's still just so sort of unassuming, isn't it? So ignorant. Ignorable. So, I don't know, ordinary looking. Sometimes even ordinary reading. Well, we heard the amazing testimony of Kathy last week. Simply reading Mark's Gospel, it changed her. And I have three quick stories to add. Another student a while back also became a Christian here at ETS through hearing the Bible's message of Jesus. And about six weeks later, he told me, you know, in, in confidence, in one of those kind of frank heart bloke chats, you know, Paul, I, I feel like my whole perspective on women and relationships has been revolutionised. I used to see women mainly as things to look at, to evaluate their beauty or otherwise. But, you know, since I've met Jesus, I've realised that, well, Jesus loves them. <laughs> he loves them just as much as he loved me. And he loves them for who they are. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm learning to have more pure sexual thoughts and just to relate more wholesomely. The power of the Bible. Here's my second story. A Bachelor of Accounting student who had been a Christian for a long time. Uh, she spent a whole semester coming in late uh, for Credio meetings like this. Uh, she had to rush up all the way from Building 5 where her class met to you know, somewhere on the opposite end. And so I kind of asked her about it. She said, you know, I do not mind walking in late. I know I just need to get there to hear some of the Bible because my whole cohort of Bachelor of Accounting is just obsessed with getting ahead. They're just obsessed with making money. All they ever talk about is climbing over people and rising to the top. I just need the Bible to refresh my perspective every week. Without it, I think I'd become a very greedy person who didn't care about people. The power of the Bible. My third story. In 2010, 
I had an emergency operation to remove my appendix because I'd been sent home from hospital with uh, wind. And two days later, my body was going into toxic shock because my appendix had actually burst. And so I was infected. Well, the operation went well, though it took me months to recover fully. But initially, the infection and all the drugs, they kept me in hospital for quite a few days of kind of just hallucinations and really vivid, foreboding dreams. I remember once uh, when I didn't have any family or friends there, I just I said to the nurse, can you please send me a chaplain? And she apologised that there was none of my denomination available. And I said, I don't care about that. I just, I just need someone to read the Bible to me. <laughs> and so he came and he read these words from Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with Christ, give, generously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who then is the one who can condemn? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, present or future, any powers height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in that moment of my terror, confronted by my own fragility and mortality, the Bible enveloped me yet again into the love of God. Through it, I heard God speak saying nothing will separate you from my love which is proved and found in Christ Jesus. You see, I'm like grass. You are like grass. All people are like grass. The flowers come and are gone again. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Think about this. 1 Peter was written nearly 2,000 years ago. That exact quote uh, from Isaiah, two and a half thousand years ago. How many generations of people since then? How many people have lived and died since then, like grass, come and gone? Yet through all those generations, the word of God has powerfully worked in people's hearts. It has not diminished. It is still working today. It will still be when we are all gone. It's the word of the Lord. It will endure forever. So to conclude, crave. Crave pure spiritual milk. 
take in this beautiful word of God to nourish yourself on the goodness of God himself. Have you got your own story about the Bible's power in your life? Why not share it? Tell others. If you do, why not invite others to inject the, you know, God's seed into your heart as well by welcoming guests and visitors to your small groups, by Facebook sharing the How Dare You events, by beginning a trio to read Mark's Gospel with someone and asking God to send a third person to join you. Why crave? Because reception to God's truth, submission to it, acceptance of it, obedience to it will purify you from living from yourself and enable you to start living a genuine love instead. Why crave? Because the enduring word of God's word will keep sustaining your heart by motivating genuine care, sacrifice, service. Yes, this word may tear you down from time to time, but it will do so to rebuild you to rebuild the city. This word may confront and convict you from time to time. Who can meet the gold standard of love? But the conviction will always come with the promise of forgiveness in Christ as well. The one who has met the standard for us. This word may do your head in from time to time, but it will mould your heart to be receptive and not resistant to the goodness of God. Crave pure spiritual milk for yourself. Crave it for your friends. Crave it for your family. Crave it for your classmates, your workplace. Crave it for UTS. Buy it. They can taste and see that the Lord is good. In the words that Paul just echoed from Psalm 34, as we've just been able to see that the Lord is good, I would like to invite Sam up to pray for us. Pray to our good and our great God. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, God. Um, we thank you for the spot that we can all be able to gather here to grow and to learn about 